Aloha and welcome to the Women on Fire podcast. My name is Daniela and I am here with co-host Jamie. And it is the end of January in Hawaii. Well, everywhere. But what that means for Hawaii is that it's the legislative session. If you've been listening to the podcast throughout the past few years, you would have picked up on that rhythm by now. Beginning of the year means it's legislative time. So we've got quite a few things to dig into regarding that. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to check in about something that's related. Um, it's a documentary called Pacific Mother. And we're just going to dive in because that's how we do. Jamie and I warmed up a bit with our topic before we started recording. So we're just ready to go there. So Pacific Mother documentary film. Uh, you want to take it away, Jamie? What is this about? Yeah. Um, so if you want to look it up, it's at www.pacificmotherfilm.com. And it is circulating its way around the globe right now. And it has won all kinds of awards and um, special mentions. And it's even gotten on the Oscar nominee list, which is pretty incredible. Um, because as much as folks in the birth world have heard about it and seen it, um, or are starting to see it, it has um, really made a pretty big impact in such a short time. So um, the film is largely uh, centered about women's choices and culturally appropriate um, care and, and actually the diminishing options for women around the Pacific Rim or birthing families around the Pacific Rim. Uh, the the film starts in Japan and they travel to New Zealand. They spend time here in Hawaii and the Cook Islands and Tahiti. And they uh, are following these amazing stories of these water women uh, around around the Pacific Rim and how we are all connected to Mother Earth and how we are just as a part of nature as much as we would, uh, as much as sort of systems would like to, to separate us from that reality. Uh, so it, it follows these women around uh, their stories of growing their babies and what options they have or what options they don't have due to regulation and um, systems sort of choosing that only one way of knowing is the right way. And so it's a little bit also a story of remembering, remembering one's cultures and practices, talking to grandmothers, talking to um, yeah, elders about what has, what's almost about to be lost. And you got to see the film. And actually we mentioned it in the, in the previous podcast, just very briefly with uh, our guest, Rava Ray. She's in the film and um, 
it showed around Hawaii uh, in December, was it? November, December. And we're really excited that it's just circulating. It will be showing in Tahiti on February 5th as a special invitation um, showing at their film festival. Do you have any words or anything you would like to share? Because I have, of course, one perspective on this film and you got to see it in its full view um, once it was released. Yeah, so this film follows about four or five women throughout their childbearing journey. And they're, even though they all birth uh, very differently in different parts of the world and you know it wasn't all home birth it was home and hospital you know home birth wasn't necessarily the point (laughs) it was birth options and um culture the shift in culture the uh basically monopolization of birth culture in some ways and how limited options have become versus what they used to be and that seemed to be the common thread that all these women experienced, despite having very different um, plans and, um, and journeys, ultimately. So that really struck me because it was like, that's what we've been dealing with. And here it is on this screen, part of this film uh, festival. And... You know, of course, we know that this has been going on for so long and and Hawaii is not the only place that has been affected, of course. But to see so many women navigate this and and stumble upon it, right? Some of them weren't even, you know, they didn't mean to. They just stumbled across it. Literally, they were pregnant. They were trying to find options. They had a dream and then kept running into all these barriers and that's how they realized what was going on and how upsetting it is. And thus why they became so fired up, wanting to be advocates and show the world what's going on and how hard they had to work to try to birth the way that was appropriate for them or not be able to or be challenged. So I just love that there's this beautiful film of mothers being passionate about their options and um yeah there's definitely some heartbreaking pieces of it you know a lot of these women were able to figure out how to um just piece things together despite a lot of odds being against them but not everyone can and that the whole point is it was really hard to be able to birth in certain ways. And um... yeah, and I think that sort of that suppression of of ancestral knowledge was sort of a theme of, you know, uh, they kind of highlight New Zealand as a as a great way that they have integrated um, indigenous practices in and integrated midwifery care systems into their um, obstetric systems. And they also highlight how in Japan, you know, it was very, very prominent and prevalent for uh, midwifery practices and how after the wars, the 
United States <clears throat> kind of came in and 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 took all of that away and said we know better, um, or Western medicine um, kind of did that. And so, and then of course in the Cook Islands where you really don't have many options at all. Um, and so the ways that she had to reach back to her grandmothers and um, and her elders to find out like what were the practices before because a lot of the women nowadays don't even know how birthing was addressed before um, before these most recent generations. And it is something that ties very much into why folks are so passionate about what's happening here in Hawaii because we are on the cusp of we have all of this great knowledge tradition it's alive and it's well and it is also absolutely at the brink of suppression because of the the laws and the statements that have been made and that kind of leads us into our next topic um so check out the film Pacific motherfilm.com and you can you can't see it online though right but people no, but can you can... request to do private screenings exactly. is that correct yes yeah. and so great get so... your homies together yeah so out, request out the community private... space <laughs> they're also actually they're downsizing the film to a 57 minute uh a streaming for, to see if they can get it streamed on some of the larger networks like Netflix or Hulu or something like that. Um, so stay tuned for that. And definitely they have a way for you to contact them and to, um, to stay in the loop. But it does bring us to this next sort of agenda item that we had talked about. And I'm going to let you have a moment yeah. to talk about that, about the translation of our midwifery law. Um, and our attorney general statement that was just released because my daughter would like to participate in it's great okay with her voice <laughs> all right very well so to segue into it just highlighting first what Jamie mentioned about the birth culture ancestral wisdom traditional wisdom the traditional way the natural way the ancestral way is pretty much endangered right endangered means it's it's something considered at risk so much so that it you know it may become extinct and we've seen it become extinct in other parts of the world it being the ancestral way of birthing um so we're at the cusp in Hawaii of being able to prevent that from happening, but we have to be very active in preserving it because if we don't stand up, it will absolutely end up in the same position that so many other countries have, which is just, it's not there. It's just not there. So, sorry if my phone is buzzing. So that's what we have been doing for years, right? uh preserve i mean we others for the past decade or more trying to preserve the diverse home birth practitioners community in hawaii then licensure came into play and giving a little synopsis here in case no one has heard this story before you haven't 
listened to our previous podcast, please do, because <laughs> uh, I'm going to miss a lot of details here. But the short of it is, eventually they implemented midwifery licensure laws in 2019, and it is a very limited and Western-centric uh, requirements that allow a provider to become a licensed midwife. And everything else is outlawed, and we have extensive episode conversations about how this parallels, this is the patterns of colonization. They come in, hey, we outlaw your culture, you cannot speak your language, you cannot pray your God, praise your gods, you cannot dance your ways, you cannot practice your medicinal ways, you will learn our language, you will praise our gods, you will accept our medicine. Because uh, ours is superior, you're inferior. We're here to save you. <laughs> and then we lose everything else. And then we have this standardized, uh, homogenized, pasteurized, sterilized, mainstream um, way of care. And I don't mean to completely poo-poo <laughs> um, all Western medicine. Um, but the problem is not necessarily just in Western medicine, but it, but more so when it turns into this cultural hegemony situation of that being pushed as the end all be all. And it just is the dominating culture and everything else is just not allowed. This is the intersect <laughs> that we've been navigating for oh, so long, but- for a hundred years <laughs> yeah exactly or right maybe maybe longer maybe longer <laughs> yeah yeah but no wait, it's but... really true and actually it's very interesting that reminds me of a conversation that happened this week where folks were talking about folks in rural areas not having access to these westernized medical professionals and therefore it actually was really critical and crucial to allow the community practitioners to be present and to do the work. And um, that then the response was, well, everybody in all areas, um, they deserve the, the best of care. And then in the same tongue says that they don't necessarily see their profession as superior to cultural practitioners, but, but that those in rural areas deserve better. And so just the like hypocrisy within some of these conversations of, of these folks not realizing that, no, I'm not saying that directly, but I'm absolutely saying that, but I'm not saying it because I don't wanna be deemed as some sort of erase culture, cancel culture, whatever. But at the same time, I absolutely believe that my education is superior to what the rural communities uh, ha may have access to. And I also think that we have created maternity care deserts because of the outlawing of other others, right? We're othering people. And so by outlawing them, right? People aren't necessarily living in these rural communities and, uh, able to provide the services anymore because they didn't do this global standardization of care. Um, though it's not superior, but 
at the same time, it absolutely is. And that's why we've outlawed everybody else. Listen, we need these specific details to really drive it home for people, because unless you're living, breathing this in some way directly affected and feeling the implications, it might be hard to really wrap your head around it. Um, here's a very general, not sorry, it's not a general example, but it's an example from New Zealand, Aotearoa, uh, that I heard recently from Ibu Robin Lim. Mahalo to you. Um, this is an experience she had where a Maori man showed up at her Bumi Sehat birth center. And he's like, I'm here because we're related. I had dreams of you. I'm supposed to be here. I'm here to help. And uh, there's a lot of beautiful things that came from that experience of this random volunteer at her birth center. But he shared his story in... I'm not sure which year, but quite a few decades ago in Aotearoa, there was some government health initiative that made it illegal to breastfeed. So the native people could not breastfeed because I'm not sure what their rationale was, but they weren't allowed to because formula was just better and safer. So, so that's what they were supposed to do. In his lineage, this man, um, a lot of babies died. It was his maybe great-grandmother, um, where she had many siblings. You know, back then people had like 10 siblings. And the grandmother was the only sibling to survive because her mother was secretly breastfeeding her. <laughs> right? And then he's part of that lineage and they were able to gradually regrow, right? But imagine the significant impact of how much was lost. People, family, connections, wisdom, the pains that have now traveled through those families because of those health initiatives of someone who knew better. Now, breastfeeding isn't native to just one people. This is our human way. No, it's not even human. It's the mammalian way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just sort of this like idea that we have, I think, as as humans to think that we can do better or this whole even like capitalization of of body product service right because that's basically I think what is even happening in regards to midwifery like midwifery was a service that was um within communities and it has in in the it's been demonized for as we've talked about in previous um podcasts by you know various systems throughout history so you know the 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 church the those were the witches um as medicalization um and doctors came afoot and had tools and these ideas of how to improve on these things and to make them better and again i'm just going to say it one more time it's not about saying that this whole medical system is is horrible and terrible, but I think it's appropriate to be able to 
critique things. Um, and I know, again, like people get offended and whatnot, but if you can't actually openly can converse and critique, then things will never get better. Like I get offended sometimes too, when I hear things and, and hear critiques, but I also think that it is for the betterment or, or for like, you know, we can't, if you're not discussing it, it can't improve. Right. So, so, and, and to like call it for what it is like this, there, this medical overreach. And so this idea of this colonization of even the word midwife of what a midwife is, and now it is becoming a commodified professional, um, uh, thing. It's title protection of what midwifery is. And you have to go to school for it. You have, there's all these like these direct boundaries and barriers to accessing the information. But, you know, all of that was, so they took it all away, <laughs> basically burned the witches through all the, all the midwives in jail, criminalized their practices. And now as people are stepping out of those systems and reclaiming and remembering, now it is becoming a capitalistic approach to um, to commodifying it and turning it into a profession, um, even sometimes more so over an actual service to the community. And it's not to say that midwives of a professional, you know, uh, organization or whatnot cannot hold that other truth, but it's sort of like what we are seeing, right? So, so for the recognition for the medical system to say, stop burning us and stop saying, we don't know anything. Look, here's, we know stuff. Like, look, we have certificates to show we know stuff. Well, now those certificates are being replaced by educational like modules. And then those educational modules are going to event. They talk about it being the evolution of a profession, but the evolution of a profession should never forget its history. And so to dismiss one for the other, as opposed to really unite them together is, um, is part of the problem is this like taking over, taking over. This is what a midwife is, but this is not what a midwife is. And I think that that's, you know, um, now they own the term. Now we look at international confederation of midwives. And this is something that you and I spoke about before, um, before we started. And I'm sitting here listening to these conversations happening in the circles in the community and well we're going with ICM standards these are global standards in 130 countries but as I mentioned to you that like when I think about that and I think about 130 countries but how many of them had it rammed down their throats like Hawaii did where so many people said okay how about both and not just one and that sort of like, no, just one, just one, just one. And that's what we have now is this just one. And that just one is so exclusive to anything outside 
of a commodified capitalistic idea of what midwifery is yeah it's gonna take a lot to shift the tides globally on this and it starts with individuals relationships to health how do you perceive life health vitality birth right is birth always full of fear and only a medical thing i mean anything can be medical eventually right should you go eat in the hospital just in case you choke because then that would be a medical event um or at least an event that <laughs> could be well mitigated by medical help no most of the time you're not going to choke and die when you eat so you're probably fine at home most of the time unfortunately there's those times where my goodness someone does somehow end up choking right um these relationships personal contemplations and personal uh belief systems and then the family's belief system and the community belief system is what's going to help shift things um because otherwise we just keep giving them the power to them being the system to come in and just micromanage everything and they have proven to be excellent at being able to monopolize these situations. So here we are with options trying to be limited. Uh, midwifery is increasingly being pushed to align with the medical paradigm. And again, it's not that the medical, uh, Western medical paradigm is always bad. It's just the reality is there are different perspectives to things. And this is when we come down to the cultural thing. Like Western medicine is a culture. Not a people sometimes have this belief that it's just completely 100% proven, uncontroversial, unbiased truth. Like completely verified, always true. And the reality is you can look up uh, research that looks into how much of medical practices are actually um, based on evidence and there's a large percentage that is not it's so a lot of medical practices are based on uh, policies or convenience <laughs> or what's cheaper or what gives the hospital more kickbacks and it's not to be sinister that's just a piece of the puzzle not the only piece. Sometimes they do things that are genuinely good and great. Absolutely. But just a piece of the puzzle to try to point out how this is a cultural thing. Okay. Western medicine is a culture. And ancestral wisdom is a culture. And yes, there's cult different cultures within uh, communities within each island within each continent etc of course so that's what we're here to try to protect and figure out how to coexist which seems to have been such a challenge for uh the midwives and the medical community to figure out but we're hoping we can crack this code once and for all so the ag letter ag letter as in the attorney general. You ready to go there? We're going there. OK. 
okay she's unmuting herself to tell me we're yeah. going there we're yeah, going there i have it up <laughs> i just also have a wiggly toddler who wants to bang on the keyboard yeah, yeah, yeah. this whole thing it makes you want to bang your head yeah. <laughs> so we will make sure to put up this letter by the attorney general general of hawaii in the uh, show notes it's five pages uh the short of it is that we had um a community member reached out to them for clarification on a few key points one of them being uh, our birth attendants i'm reading from the letter our birth attendants legally allowed to continue practicing past july 1st 2023 and I'm so glad this was asked because last year when we had the vigil at the Capitol, some of us camped there, right? That was the year where this went, this um, exemption lapsed. It was over and we're there trying to fight to rectify this issue. And yet we were seeing in the media some people quote say uh, being quoted as saying that oh all this fuss is for nothing because no one's being criminalized their birth attendants can still practice they're not being outlawed so they're just confused they don't know what they're talking about they're just being dramatic <laughs> basically and it's and maybe slightly different words but that was what was being said and led to all this confusion in the community like wait what is going on is are they being criminalized are they not um, well, and that so was echoed from from people who are presumed authority on these subjects, including legislators, including organizations that um, are prevalent here in Hawaii, were sort of echoing that, no, it's just relating to midwives. These other people are not practicing midwifery and they are free to practice and will not get criminalized. And it created this very strange gray area where we were saying well that's what you're saying but when we read the law that doesn't seem to be it i mean it's up for interpretation i suppose because some people read the law and say that doesn't look like what it says exactly we were willing to be wrong. We're like, wow, that sounds great. I really hope that's the case. And I, I would reread it and be like, huh, I guess I could see how that could be interpreted that way. But right, it's not up to me or any other provider to decide what the law says. Who's the most appropriate person? Hello, Attorney General. Bingo. This is the truth that ultimately... Uh, would be held in court if someone is challenged, right? So I'm going to pull up this letter so I can just read straight from it so it's not Daniela's interpretation of nothing. It's, um, let's see. So the answer to this question, are birth attendants legally allowed to continue practicing past July 1st, 2023 from the eternal uh, attorney general it's no birth attendants are not legally allowed to continue practicing past july 1st 2023 the laws governing midwifery start with the premise that no person shall engage in the practice of midwifery except as provided in hrs chapter 457j in other words all practitioners of midwifery are regulated by 
chapter 457J. Okay, loud and clear. Got it. So if anyone was confused from last year uh, and inconsistent messages from different people uh, and different interpretations and assumptions of what the law says, here it's cleared up. Okay. So we will continue well, on this. And then oh, that, yep. But that leads us to the next thing of the, the conversation was, well, you know, well, what is the practice of midwifery is because that was the thing is, well, those people don't practice midwifery. So they're, they're still okay, because they're not actually practicing midwifery. So then that leads us to the second question of our birth attendants, other birth working professionals, example, doulas, lactation consultants and counselors, cultural or religious practitioners, extended Hanai, which is extended family, um, legally allowed to practice if their scope is not identical to the definition of midwifery, but contains any combination of the activities in the definition. And there, and, and the problem is that the definition is that basically, hold on one moment, maybe you can take over here. Right, we took it further um, and asked, well, who is this covering then, right? Um, and I have to queue up the letter, but um, basically there is somewhere in the current law that says who is exempt from this law, right? And I want to... Well Sorry, I sorry. I just wanted to chime back into where I left off. Um, so to we can go back to the exemption, but basically the definition of midwifery is that it means the provision of one or more of the following. And the main point on it, there's three points, but the main one that is so broad and so general is the provision of advice and information regarding the progress of childbirth and care for newborns and infants. And so basically what that, what the problem is that that specific one or even supervising the conduct of labor and childbirth, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that absolutely overlap for doulas, lactation consultants, practitioners, extended family, like anybody, you know, if you hire a doula, they're going to give you, they're, they're hanging out with you while you're in labor. Uh, and so what's the definition of supervising and giving advice and information regarding childbirth and care for newborns and infants and those kinds of things. It's so general that it's a catch all. So basically anybody working in the childbirth world that doesn't have a license separate from midwifery, I mean, it could be midwifery included or a licensed naturopath or a licensed nurse or a licensed so-and-so but if you don't a, a licensed acupuncturist 
But if you are somebody who doesn't carry a license of any sort, which kind of means that we just need to like shut down the internet because the internet is practicing midwifery. <laughs> you can't sell your baby carrier and give information on how to carry a newborn in it. And, and obviously they're like, well, people aren't going to go after people like that. But the reality is that you don't know what people are going to go after. And the, and the issue is that the definition is so overreaching. And this is that, again, that colonization, that, that overreach of the medical system to try to be, to try to make everything fit under one umbrella and erase all others. Yep. Anyone without a license that is offering any advice or support throughout pregnancy, birth, and postpartum is affected by this law. It's loud and clear. Thank you, Attorney General, for clarifying this issue. It just lets us know how poorly written the law is, okay? It was probably not intended to be this way. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> despite my sinister tendencies, um, or thinking that most people are in these positions. But regardless of the intention, this is where it's at. So great, let's recognize that, and then let's just rectify it. <laughs> um, we'll segue into how we can rectify that soon. Um, but that's it. In a nutshell, I mean, this affects even people that are free birthing, whether they call it that or not, right? You, you, you have, have your auntie, you know, you got your, your cousin, you got your homie, your friends, you your just, birth photographer. Yeah, that's, that's it. They're there. They're assessing possibly labor with you, possibly assessing pregnancy what if they give you nutritional advice they don't have a, a license for that um and what if you do then transport to the hospital and then you say oh well i all i've done is you know i don't i didn't i never came into the medical system i didn't have a licensed provider is it illegal then to not have licensed providers supporting you if the opposite i mean it depends on who's there right oh because what i wanted to clarify earlier is that there are some family members that are exempt from this, but it's immediate family, like it's spouse, child, parents. Uh, so a person's spouse, domestic partner, parent, sibling, or child. So no extended. And then I think. Or her nine family is like your adopted family. It's just like, you know. It's family. It's who you choose as your family. And then the, I think the thing that hits really the hardest of all, which we've been saying, and the, the, the Hawaiian, the native Hawaiians have been um, saying is that sure, they give a nod for a cultural exemption for Hawaiian healing practices. Um, However, it says regarding religious and cultural practitioners, it says that nothing in this chapter shall prohibit healing practices by traditional Hawaiian healers engaged in traditional healing practices of prenatal, maternal, and child care as recognized by any council of kapuna convened by Papa Ololokahi. 
But Papa Olokahi um, actually doesn't recognize Hanau as one of the Hawaiian healing practices. And so, and it's stated in here too, um, that that is um, something that the attorney general not only recognizes, but knows. Well, there's only four recognized Hawaiian healing practices, at least on the federal level, that Papa Olalokahi has uh, been uh, assigned to be able to um, just watch over. And I don't remember all four of them, so Kalamai, but it's um, Lomi Lomi, La'au Laba'au, and if you know the other two, go ahead. But it does not include Hanau practices, and this is the issue. It's like, well, many palikeki know how to do Lomi Lomi, but then they go to the Lomi Lomi hui or group under Papa Olalokahi, and they have not been accepted into it for those conditions because they're like, well, we don't specialize in palikeki. You know, that's not our focus so even though the law technically says in no way shall this affect the native hawaiian cultural healers and they seemingly have a system of how they're going to prevent that that system has been attempted and it's not working um they tried to create a kupuna council for the palikeki but a kupuna council has to be connected to a federally funded health center. And many were approached to try to accomplish this requirement to no avail. So it says Papa Olalokahi will be uh, in charge of being able to help these people and yet they have not been able to. So dead end. It's logistically on paper, but it doesn't actually work in reality. And we have Native Hawaiian practitioners expressing this, right? And this adds to the confusion, you know? I communicate with NARM, the certifying body for CPMs, and they're like, oh, but what's the problem? It says right here, Native Hawaiians are fine. Ah, now we have to unpack it. It's like, yes, they made it seem like they'd be fine, but they're not fine. And... <laughs> They're trying to rectify this issue. So the attorney general letter points that out. It's like, yeah, it seems like there's an exemption for them. But the reality is that polykakis aren't specifically recognized as one of the Hawaiian healing modalities. So let's see, where's the letter? What does it actually say? That's my version of it. Um Any person? Nope. Uh-huh. I'm just going to read this paragraph. So it says, this provision seems to allow traditional healing practices of prenatal, maternal, or, and child care, so long as those practices are recognized by a council of kupuna convened by Papa Ola Lokahi. While the provisions also allow the practice of traditional native Hawaiian healing pursuant to the constitution of the state of Hawaii, the specific Native Hawaiian healing practices protected by the state constitution is not identified. 
In addition, Act 32, which creates HRS Chapter 457J, states that the legislature also notes that practicing midwifery according to this act does not impede one's ability to incorporate or provide cultural practices. While a licensed midwife can certainly include cultural practices, it's not clear what, if any, cultural practices are exempted from midwifery licensure. So even the attorney general is like, yeah, they kind of tried, but they didn't really pull it off. <laughs> so um, those were the three main things that were addressed in this letter. Uh, is there anything else you want to highlight from the letter before we segue into the bills to help us rectify this issue? No, I think that's the main, uh, those are sort of the main points and folks like you said we can post it on the thing folks can read it for themselves but we do also uh have as many years presented a solution to this because we anticipated that um we would have answers like this i know it's so frustrating um coming from lawyers and whatnot, um, that the interpretation by the community members that felt very different from the interpretation that was being made by some of the figureheads. Um, and so uh, once again, many people came together, legislators and community members and others came together to draft yet another version of a solution to these issues because not only has this attorney general letter come out but we have also had some of our traditional practitioners go to the united nations recently to bring up these issues of um suppressing cultural practices and the horrific infant and maternal mortality rates that um, are presented in the United States and its territories and various things. So they actually, the, um, the United Nations came out with a statement saying that, you know, all of this needs to be revisited and um, adjusted because it is true, the, the United States has the worst infant and maternal mortality rates in all developed nations. And yet we spend the most money on, um, on, you know, this portion of so-called healthcare. Yeah. And Hawaii ranks the worst out of all 50 states in prenatal care. And again, some more tidbits for people to understand why this matters. What are the implications in real life? What's the context that this exists in? What are these communities like? Each island is very different. Um, some are more rural than others. Uh, pretty much any of the neighbor islands are more <laughs> rural than Oahu. So Maui, for example, they just had one of their private OB services close. They still offer gynecological care, but they no longer attend births. And that was the last private option. So now the only other options are 
if you have Kaiser, okay, Kaiser. But then the reality is most people don't have that. What they have is just access to the one federally funded health center hospital. So those are the options they have or end up getting flown out here to Oahu for other reasons. They have one hospital there. And and let's also remember that none of our neighbor islands support VBACs. Which means they get flown to Oahu for... If they're going to have a if trial. If they want to. And... But the reality is most people don't do that because of the logistics of that. Like who can fly out here maybe weeks before their due date? Uh, without their family because insurance doesn't cover their family and then they're away from family for that long and then if they want their family here that's an out-of-pocket expense and most people can't pull that one off yeah, and then have to take off of work or they have to find you know this is a v-back so we have to remember that they already have at least one child and then how does that actually affect folks who are already on, say, state health insurance because they're having a hard time just making ends meet in general. And so that signs them up for repeat C-section after repeat C-section. Um, so so, so options like are incredibly limited. <laughs> so yes, when the saviors of these Western paradigms have not been able to um, you know, save every inch of the islands with their great care. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being facetious. But uh, the point is these communities rely on their community support as they have for generations, right? For decades, for centuries in some cases, right? And for, and for a system to say that it is subpar when you know, the statistics that we do have and we do know that actually there's no maternal death on record in all of the recording for a home birth in Hawaii. And our infant uh, morbidity and mortality rate is equal or maybe just ever so slightly but not statistically significantly greater than in a hospital so we know that it isn't necessarily superior and in fact some of our you know we know that folks of um who identify as um or who not identify who are actually you know of BIPOC families, they're, they are the most at risk. And it is actually when we look at, again, these supposedly superior systems, that's where they are the most endangered. Native Hawaiians are 450 times more at more risk than uh Caucasian person giving birth that's real that's not and though and and mo many of those people let's again less than two percent of people are having home births those are statistics directly from the system that is supposedly trying to save folks but it is because of 
talk about lack of education, information, and cultural integration, sure, you can do workshops all you want about having cultural integration and having, having, but if your cultural integration also says that our education is superior, then how are you actually doing that? How are you talking out both sides of your mouth? <sighs> so this is the problem with the law as it stands and why the attorney general letter is so significant. It, it's clarifying what we've been saying, what the community has been saying, but a lot of people in authority in the medical community don't want to see it because it's irrelevant to them because they're in the vacuum of their own culture. They don't see it because it doesn't affect them. And they don't see their own bias because they're doing plenty of um, educational pieces about not being biased. They're doing workshops. Sorry, again, being facetious, but seriously, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's hard not to. <laughs> like, it has to be put in motion. You can't just sit in the classroom. This is even the whole thing about a, having an education through a school versus like an actual in your community. This is how these people live, operate, breathe, eat, communicate. You know, it's, it's all, um, it, it's, yeah, this, this whole, like, not seeing beyond our, your own sort of, like, walls. Yeah. Why would Or maybe peeking over the edge, but not actually, like, going over the wall. Mm-hmm. So, so let's switch gears and let's talk about our solutions because we said like 10 minutes ago we were going to talk about the solutions. So folks have once again come together and we have a champion um, legislator, Ellie Cochran, who has introduced our um, House bill. And Mahalo, have, Ellie Cochran. And we have um, the amazing Miley Shimabukuro, who every year for the past probably seven years has written and, in, and introduced our bill on the Senate side. Um, and all I have to say is we just have our bills getting more and more refined over time. They're getting better and better. They're just giving us option, oppor <laughs> opportunities to make them more inclusive and more um more effective and, and have an even more global reach and perspective. So the House bill is House Bill 2649 and the Senate bill is Senate Bill 2969. And they're basically the same bill because you have to introduce it. Well, you don't have to, but usually you have um, companion bills on either side. So if one loses momentum, you can try to get the other one going from the other direction because how legislation works, it has to pass the House in or, and then cross over to the Senate before it can get approved into law and vice versa. So, so these just to praise the senators and uh, representatives a little more. So along with Senator Shima Bukuro for the Senate bill, uh, we also had Senator Kidani sign on. And then for the House bill, we had Representative Amato, Capella, Onishi, and Furusu also signed on to these bills. So mahalo to you folks too for being courageous 
uh, because this is a, has been very controversial and uh, there is a hierarchy within the uh, capital system and it can be scary to stand up against what leadership um, wants. And uh, we've been up against that challenge. So mahalo for your courage. Um, so the bills. Yeah, I like what? to think of these as accountability bills, to be perfectly honest. And it's the accountability of the language in the current statute that it has been established, HRS 457J, and also accountability for what the state of Hawaii has said it was going to do within that bill is that they were going to find a way to be inclusive of all birth practitioners, which is recognized in the Sunrise Law. They have named and um, various birth practitioners besides certified professional midwives. And so the law states that if they have been recognized as being part of a profession, then the whole profession needs to be regulated, not just one monopolized faction of that. But since this bill is supposed to just be licensing midwives and regulating and defining midwives, then it sh then birth attendants are not midwives, right? Isn't that the whole point? <laughs> so because of that issue with the definition that the attorney general agrees uh, with it being uh, just broad, it encompasses non-licensed people offering support. Um, one of the main goals of the bills, because remember they're both the same, it is to refine the definition of midwifery. So Jamie read the three main points that define midwifery currently in the law. And I am scrolling, here it is. Okay, so in these bills, one of the ways that we're refining this definition is by, uh, in one of the points where it says, oh, no, sorry, still scrolling. There it is, okay. Point one in the definition uh, is monitoring, well, assessing, monitoring, um, sorry, this is all bits and pieces, but and care <laughs> during pregnancy, labor, childbirth, postpartum, and interconception periods, and for newborns, including ordering, interpreting screenings, diagnostics tests, um, etc. Doesn't really matter because it says including, but you don't necessarily have to be doing those things. It can be other things, yeah. So the adjustment this bill proposes is to add clinical assessment instead of just the assessment it's clinical assessment which makes a world of a difference because your auntie and your sister as the non or well not sisters sisters are fine but your auntie your uncle your hanai cousin whatever can be supporting you with assessment in a non-clinical way the key here that is that licensed midwives are the only ones that can be doing these assessments clinically. Yeah, this will, this alone, there's more pieces to the bill, but this alone 
clarifies that problem of, oh, well, lactation consultants and um, doulas are encompassed by this definition, yeah? Okay, so that's one piece. And then on to the next piece. Oh, well then striking out two and three of the definition, right? There's three points, but once you put clinical assessment, then that's the catch-all for licensed midwives, period. You don't need the part that says supervising the conduct of labor and childbirth because you're already saying that you're clinically assessing, monitoring, and caring during labor and childbirth. Um, and for the third point that is there and we, or the bill is recommending a strike out is the provision of advice and information regarding the progress of childbirth and care for newborns and infants because again it's redundant it's already in that one paragraph boom and the story it's simple it's specific it's clear and boom that's done okay midwifery definition revised <laughs> all right you want to talk to the other points yeah, this also, this bill also reinstates the birth attendant uh, um, exemption as a permanent exemption where they have to do what they had to do before, which was offer a disclosure and a transport plan and that they can, you know, their education, uh, basically an informed consent that says that they're not licensed, here's my training, and that a person is choosing that care. Um, so there is that, uh, which is great because that is a form of regulation, which is what we had stated last year in our bill of um, Senate Bill 955 to just ask to extend the exemption or make permanent the exemption because it is, a form of regulation which the state of Hawaii has said that that has to happen according to one of the other laws. And again, they sort of put themselves into that bind by recognizing in verbiage that there are cultural practitioners, that there are other kinds of people providing birth services that are valued by the community. And so because they have acknowledged that in a legal document, it is appropriate for them to regulate the entire profession. So this is a form of regulation by having a state signed disclosure form and informed consent, et cetera. So it, it also says in that sunshine law that, you know, there's various degrees of regulation, licensure being the most severe. Um, and also the thing that provides the best safety is communication and um, open dialogue. And that, of course, comes in the form of when transports are necessary to have people hiding or not being able to disclose what's really happening is um, really, really dangerous um, for for folks, whether they're choosing to free birth or whether they're choosing to have their sisters or extended family or whoever um their priest their whoever attend them in their birth like that is their right and they also should be able to communicate what is happening if there is a need for transport and um so that is really really important um and also was recognized in that sunrise law 
And then they um, clarify the um, exemption about Hawaiian healing practices. And that's really great. But they also added in that this chapter shall prohibit and nothing in this chapter shall prohibit or restrict healing practices by traditional healers of any ethnic culture or religious faith and their students, because that is the reality is that, you know, we are a global community now, not just in Hawaii. And so to exempt only one, um, one belief system and uh, throw the rest under the bus, as again, many of the, um, the folks who are you know, really standing up for cultural rights and um, and equality have have mentioned that that it's really it is very important that Hawaiians have an exemption and they also recognize that they are a blend of cultures. Um, we are a global community, so it um, it really it emphasizes that piece and. Um, and finally, that nothing in this chapter will prohibit or interfere with a person's right to choose where and with whom that person gives birth. And the, the reason why this is important is that even though it is in people's, um, that it is in the Constitution that you have the right to freedom and self-determination, that you shouldn't have to defend your constitutional rights, that this is a statutory right um, and privilege that can be, a you know, that, that the state should protect. It shouldn't have to be somebody having to defend their rights, but that this is something that the state really has, um, has an opportunity to protect before it becomes a problem. Right, because that's what it would come down to when they say things like, oh no, but it's protected under the constitution if it doesn't explicitly say in the law that it's okay then it will take someone having to go through the court system and whether if it's the federal or you know the if it's hawaii constitution it's one thing but then if it's on the federal level then you're going through the federal court that's a long process that most people don't have the time resources to pull off right financially we know people that have navigated this to prove that they did have these rights based on the constitution and they won great but who has the time to really pull that off so we want to make sure people are not in that position as it stands that's the seems like the main way that people would have to be able to prove that their rights are there so wanted to clarify oh well actually I have this other part queued up so I'll, I'll just read the little snippet about the UN report and I will post the full report in the show notes as well um, like Jamie mentioned we had colleagues go out to Geneva last year and um, let's see the notes that ended up in the United Nations International Covenant um, on civil and political rights uh, from the Human Rights Committee. Um, it said in their fifth periodic report, it expressed concerns that, quote, in various states, midwifery is severely restricted, banned, or even criminalized, limiting the availability of culturally sensitive 
and respectful maternal health care for those with low incomes, those living in rural areas, people of African descent, and members of indigenous communities. So we have that support. They recognize it's an issue. I would just further expand that, uh, again, it's not just about midwifery, birth care, birth support, childbearing support um, comes from various angles. It's not just from OBs, it's not just from midwives. Um, and we need to expand that, right? I mean, we have uh, uh, our neighboring island communities where <laughs> they might live three hours from the hospital. Most people aren't willing to go there, especially licensed providers that have very narrow perspectives and scopes, right? Who's going to go across the river that might flood? Who's going to do that? We don't have a lot of doctors that are willing to even set up practice here or continue their practices because even doctors are struggling to make a living in Hawaii and deal with insurance and deal with all the red tape and all the requirements. It's making it so difficult that we have a physician shortage in general, not just in maternity care, but in general. But and not just in Hawaii, across our and across the United States, there are places where all the clinics have closed and the nearest hospital is hours away. And yet their practitioners have also been made illegal or have to go underground or have to use creative terminology in order to serve people. You know, some folks have babies in two hours. Most don't, but some do. And if you are one of those people and the nearest hospital is two hours away, well, you better that first contraction, you better get in that car and you better have that prediction that you can make it there in time. <laughs> exactly. So Hawaii and the majority of the country is in a similar situation with these maternity deserts and restricted and limited care options and then this whole licensure situation for midwives has further exacerbated uh, a crisis truly it's a maternity crisis and it's made worse so again this is our opportunity about to rectify the... this yes this is a really great opportunity for folks to again even if you wouldn't choose it you don't have to choose. You can you can absolutely choose a scheduled, you know, induction or whatever, which is a lot of times their solution is, oh, well, well, if you we know you have a two hour labor, let's just schedule you for an induction. Mm -hmm. So that way we know you'll be here to have the baby. But that's not always really the best solution either. Because that's a cultural perspective that that's, that's the right way to do it that's culture right there yeah yeah it's not evidence-based so better for that mother and there's plenty of evidence yeah that shows that that mother and that baby are more likely to have less than favorable outcomes um due to the meddling with yeah you might have the baby at the hospital but you could also end up in a crash c-section or whatnot because of the interventions that you're trying to prevent having a baby in a car and now you're having you know a surgical birth because the baby didn't tolerate labor because 
of X, Y, and Z, right? So, and you can listen to lots of other podcasts that talk about that, but also that we have some of those discussions in previous podcasts of our own. Um, so again, it's culture. Some people would prefer to birth by themselves than to risk that. And there is risk either way, right? This, see, risk we either all way. have this common ground. <laughs> yep. Everyone involved in supporting birth, anyone involved in this legislative process, everyone has the common ground of we want what's best for our community, for the childbearing journey, for mothers, for ohanas, for the keiki. We all want that. We just have a lot of different cultures involved that have different approaches to what's best, yeah? So we wanna respect everyone's ability to have their cultural and religious approach to life, which is already constitutionally protected, right? Let's make it nice and clear then. If it's already protected, then no problem in just having it even more clearly written in the law. Um, yeah, I'm going to let that one be. I will not try to further elaborate on examples because we'll be here all day and we've done that plenty. Okay, so the one uh, seemingly minor detail I wanted to also point out that earlier I mentioned one of the key ways that midwifery is being redefined is by adding the word clinical to the definition of assessment, monitoring, and care through the childbearing time. Um, so this bill does in fact also define clinical. So it's nice and clear. <laughs> it means involving or relating to the direct medical treatment or testing of patients. Boom, medical treatment. That's it. Medicine has come to mean, you know, this Western-based medical. It doesn't mean traditional medicine. It doesn't mean you're administering la'au, la'pa'au, because you do not administer right? That's a medical term, right? These are not medical things. Once once you're practicing in these um, traditional ways, they have their own names. So simple distinguishing definition that it's just like two short lines in this whole bill, but it's like a big piece. Um. Well, language matters. And that's, I think, too, even in the fight for the term midwife versus somebody identifying as a licensed midwife or a cultural midwife or a, you know, like midwife is a root word and you could put you can put a prefix in front of it. However, the reason for the necessity of putting and defining clinical is that the medical industrial complex has co-opted the word midwife and turned it into a medical profession. And so this is to sort of get in line with that. And whether, you know, I mean, you call bullshit or not on that is totally fine. But we've been really actively trying to, to draft and craft a meaningful protection. And so, you know, the because of the ICM and because of all of these really large global organizations, we have had to really um, sort of uh, give pause or take a take a moment around the word midwife and 
define it now as a clinical or medical profession. Yeah, it's still interesting to me that this <laughs> this whole thing has been such a wordsmith adventure. Uh, it's what it just keeps coming down down to, and it's like, well, if birth attendants aren't midwives, and they were only initially exempt because the auditors recognize that they exist <laughs> and that there's these various providers involved with birth support in the community but they weren't saying that they are midwives it's just we have various providers here um but then people also get hung up on this is only regulating midwives so this only affects midwives so if you're not a midwife then not practicing midwifery then it doesn't affect you then it's like then leave birth attendants, doulas, lactation consultees, my auntie alone. But then somehow it still gets convoluted. But it's because of these gray areas and confusion of overlap that we need these clear definitions. And this supposed evolution that is happening i mean it is it's not supposed this evolution that is happening but how that evolution is happening again you may not be in full agreement as i think a lot of people are especially linguists you know there is or, or writers or whatnot i mean there are there are midwives in the bible right so um <laughs> they didn't they didn't have a school for that back then and they probably weren't necessarily providing you know, medical, because medical didn't fully exist. There was, there were healers, there were medicine people, but not in the same realm that we now have in our modern society. So, you know, that's, there are definitely um, some, some things involved in the language. However, by adding the term clinical, and if it makes it so folks can still choose with whom, with whom and how they want to birth and where they want to birth, then, you know, sometimes there is, there has to be some compromise. And sometimes that evolution is, you know, redefining and specialization of terminology, um, just as even the medical profession you used to have a lot of family practice doctors. And now, it's mostly specialists. Ah, so hopefully we can make history this year for generations to come. Yes, stay tuned to hihbc.org, hawaiihomebirthcollective.org, or Pacific Birth Collective if you want to receive updates. There are newsletters and um, social media things that go out on the regular. And um, definitely you don't have to live in Hawaii to care about what's happening because what is happening here, we are all connected. And it is a global mission to preserve and protect each and every birthing family's rights to choose with whom and how and where they want to bring in their light. Yeah, stand in unity. We've all lost so much, all the cultures around the world. 
in the name of this dominating um, Western way. And the beauty here is that we all get to come together and celebrate what we do have and stand together to preserve it and allow it to continue thriving. Stand up for each other, have each other's back. It's not about just these people or only those people. It's all of us together, yeah? So, yes, yes follow. it's not about othering, it's about belonging. It's about weaving our differences. It is exactly that. And yes, it's the legislative session, which means that every other day there's a new urgent (laughs) call to action and it's intense and we can't all do it all the time. You're not going to be able to do every single call to action. That's okay. The most beautiful example I received from a friend regarding advocacy work is imagine it like a choir. How does a choir seemingly hold a note for 10 minutes? It's not one person. Not one person can do that. Yeah, we have to alternate. While someone's taking a breath, the other person goes. And as a unit, it seems like we're this unbroken note, just continually so seamless, yeah? Together, working, letting each other take turns. So follow those pages. Do the most you can do, but please be involved. I know it's tiring, but the rewards are for the future of humanity. (laughs) It's big. So... Also, if you have been following for a while, you know, or maybe you don't, maybe you're brand new to this, but you get it, you understand it, let's go, you're ready to dive deep. I invite you to become a member of the Hawaii Home Birth Collective. It's a bunch of volunteers that care about this coming together year after year after tiring year (laughs) to stand up for everything we just talked about. And one voices coming together we're louder that way, right? We have this unified voice through this platform of HIHBC. So and the, the membership number- is so cheap. It's ten dollars for a whole year. But that ten dollars goes to so many things. Like again, like the choir. If we can get ten dollars here and ten dollars there, then we can fly our neighbor island midwives over to have really important discussions with their legislators and with the advisory committee and with the task force information like these, the money goes back into these community efforts. So, um, and we have ideas to expand and, and become an even more involved organization, but it does take it does take some funds. So you can donate, you can become a member for a very nominal fee. I mean, that's like, you know, 94 cents a month. <laughs> so, so yes, easy. check, check it out. Please share far and wide. Um, please even just even subscribing to our newsletter. You don't even have to be a member subscribe to the HIHBC email list Um, but it does um, those few dollars really do help make a big difference on um, on how we can get momentum and get movement and really support our communities 
yeah. I will make sure to post the links for the HIHBC website on the show notes. Wonderful. All right, friends. I think continued. we've done our due diligence here today, and we thank Indeed. you all for staying tuned. And um, let us know if you want to join the podcast, if you have a story to share, or if you have information uh, that you have, wisdom that you have that you would like to get out um, into the world, something you're fired up about regarding reproductive justice and or just sharing your story. Um, really important that medicine is really important for all of us to heal all right we hope to hear from you thanks for your time and sharing this adventure with us we mahalo you and look forward to our next episode and it is possible this episode will actually come out before our rava interview so if you're confused from the beginning they're like what episode are you talking about i might end up switching the orders because of the time sensitivity with this episode and the next episode will be the rava interview so so just know that <laughs> maybe bounce happen all right. Uh, Beautiful. All right. We love you all. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll, we'll uh, enjoy chatting your ear off next time. <laughs>